this is at the line. I know, we've been gone for a while. I apologize. I'm really bad at this. Mac just left me in the middle of all this. I don't know what to do. I'm left alone. But then I had a savior and Noah join me. Noah, this is your debut on the po- on the podcast. Yeah, I'm super excited to get started first off, and I'm happy to join you and be doing this maybe somewhat regularly. Like, this is going to be really fun. I'm excited. It's crazy. Noah, first, uh, tell tell me, tell me, or the audience, or who the fuck you want to talk to, <laughs> uh, tell them who you are and what exactly you do and why they should respect your opinions. Yeah, uh, so obviously my name is Noah McGarrow-George. I'm from San Antonio, Texas, a lifelong San Antonio Spurs fan. And uh, I went to the University of North Texas, got my degree in broadcast journalism, but I'm trained in a wide array of different medias. I can do radio. I can do TV. Um, I have a YouTube channel if anyone ever wants to check that out. Um, But yeah, uh, I've been watching basketball for a long time. I do scouting reports on prospects. I do film analysis for the Spurs. So I do a lot of different things. I watch a ton of basketball and I know Ty does too. So I'm yeah. excited to get started here with someone who also is very well-versed in basketball. The big reason I brought you on to the team, don't worry, Mac actually, Mac is still part of the team. He's <laughs> hi- he's just on a hiatus. I can't explain, I can't tell why until he gives me the go ahead, but don't worry. He is safe. He's okay. Don't worry. I know he's been gone from Twitter and he's still a part of the ATL team, but I brought you on because you are certainly a draft expert. First off, but also you're now part of the team. You're not just a guest. You're a part of the team. And But I really appreciate your draft knowledge. And I think that's something that I'm not the best at. And I know that Mac is kind of weak at too. But I appreciate, I respect your draft skills and your draft knowledge. And you watch a lot of college basketball, which I can't do. Yeah, sometimes it drives me crazy. Like I didn't used to be huge into college basketball. But about maybe three or four years ago, I was like, I need to know who these prospects are because I don't want to be nervous waiting for the Spurs to draft whoever and I have no information about them. I have no idea. Like I was? <laughs> for, for, yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I was going crazy. So I was like, you know what? Let's watch as much college basketball as possible. Let me see what the experts are saying. Let me see what the like low-key draft people on Twitter are saying. And let me watch some film and make my own opinion. And we'll see if it kind of lines up with everybody else. And for the most part, it, it has done pretty well. I was really high on Keldon last year. I was surprised he felt to 29. And what do you know? Keldon was pretty dang good for the Spurs by the time we finally got to play. Luca is a little bit of a different That's, story. I, but I will explain that. I still like him. I, I'll have my opinions on that. But yeah, it's for the Spurs. Like, they, I don't know. They, I was like, come to a 2018 draft. Like, all right, here we drafting. Because I know nothing about this. We gotta get, I kind of like this guy. Oh, he went before. Oh, we got this guy named Lonnie Walker with crazy hair. Uh, he seems cool. I knew nothing about the players. I think the most I got into the draft was 2019, whenever I started looking closely at Luca. Oh yeah, and that's why I'm still high on Luca, just from what I saw in the draft footage and stuff and combine stuff. But just doing all that, re- I do a lot more research after the basketball season's ended and starting for like draft season. And so that's kind of how my draft research has been at lately, at the least. Yeah, I, like for I write for Pounding the Rock, for those of you who do not know. It's a SB Nation site that covers the San Antonio Spurs. He's a rival to my, and, <laughs> my network. I'm kind of like the resident draft guy, if you will, there. I do a lot of draft stuff, me and Anish. So you should guys should check that out. And uh, I've been really into the draft. And what do you know? It's draft season. So I'm excited to see who the Spurs select. But I'm, I suppose we will get into that a little bit later. That's a di- for Also, for a different episode, we're going to have a full deep dive. As we're recording this on Friday, November 6th, the election of Stella has not been decided, <laughs> and we don't know when trades are going to ha- start start either. 
but we do. Or wait, what time, what day is the draft? I forgot what day is the draft. November 18th. They, there you go. See, you're more close. <laughs> no, that, we know that the draft is November 18th, and so that is going to be a key thing. We do know that the NBA is going to now start on the 20, or around the 22nd. They made the agreement on Thursday the 5th, which is was a big deal that they avoided losing around $500 million. And instead, they're going to be playing 72 games, maybe a play-in tournament. Um, players are not high... Not as going to be as effective contract-wise. There is going to be 18% escrow from what I've seen. So it's essentially 18% of their contracts is going to be lost, unfortunately. That they're not going to get paid. But their con- the contract amounts are going to stay the same for off-season purposes. Mm-hmm. And the and the cap is going to stay at $109 million, which is really helpful for all teams and for all of us that love to break down these teams. Definitely. And I think another thing that's really important to remember is like even though they're losing that 18% of their contract, they're still going to be making quite a good bit of money yes. because they're playing in the NBA and it could have been so much worse. Like the, the NBA being able to salvage their contracts in, in this next season really to me is pretty spectacular. Is it earlier than some of the players wanted it to start? Sure. But not everybody was LeBron James or Jimmy Butler in the, in the finals. Like yeah. most of the teams have been sitting around. So 20, it's fair for most of the teams. Bobby Marks did a breakdown. as like, I think 25% of the players in the NBA have not played since March. Yeah, that's a long time to and go. And then add playing. on add on some of the players that haven't played since August now. So it's been a while. They got that they got their rest already. Some guys are just itching to play. And yeah, if it's only like less than twenty five percent of players have played since late October, mid October, oh, oh fucking well. Yeah, it's. I mean, honestly, it's not that big of a deal. I mean, it is. I mean, obviously there are a little bit of injury concerns for some people, but I'm sure players will be load managing i don't love that word but they will be load managing and there will be plenty of young legs like if you're watching the spurs i wouldn't be that worried there's a lot of young legs there and not a lot of guys with a ton of injury history so and they've had a lot of time they still have had a good amount of time between yeah, they've had a lot of time off and the guys who were injured they had a lot of time off they've had a lot of time to recover and you know i'm just willing to see them play and if i were in their position i would be so excited to play too i mean it, it's just so hard to go that long without doing something that you love and i have my imp- my NBA source essentially told me that, yeah, this is going to be a weird season, but everyone's going to, be, going to be going through it. And even though that they are starting early, it's worth the uncertainty. It's worth that, even though it's a short amount of time, these guys get a, get a play. That it's not going to be a normal year, and people are going to have to just accept that. That some teams might get fucked over because LeBron James wants to sit out for the first month because he's tired as fuck. He, that's just how teams are going to have to deal. And it's just... It's just like how the NFL is currently dealing with fucking a COVID outbreak, as it is. Yeah. And having to deal with players not being able to play because they're positive with COVID. Yeah, it's going to be a weird season, but you're right. It's going to be weird for everyone. It's not like it's just going to be weird for one team or one player. Everybody's going through the same thing. Um, And yes, LeBron and, and those guys who are on the Lakers and Jimmy Butler and the guys on the Heat are going to be exhausted, and maybe rightfully so, but... They're just going to have to suck it up. Everybody's going to be facing the same circumstances. There are ways to mitigate that through load management, through minute management. So um, I'm really not that worried for anybody, especially the Spurs. Like, yeah. I, I'm really not worried about the Spurs. I think one of the, one of the teams that's prime for this early restart is going to be the Spurs. Just because yeah. they've done a great job of being just load management as a team without having to not sit out games. They just know how to condition their players. Then also add on that. All these fucking young guys are gym rats. They're always in the damn gym, and they are always working. They are. And, and then also, 
there's so many young guys on this team. Plus, the, whoever they end up drafting, this is probably, and I'm going to go out on a limb here and say it's going to be the youngest Spurs team we've had in years, or at least since last year, which is one of the youngest teams we've ever seen the Spurs have under Coach Popovich. So, yeah, people still said they were fucking old. Yeah, I think people are just used to calling the Spurs old. Uh, I think it's uninformed. The Spurs are quite young now. They got a lot of really exciting young guys, but again, we can talk about that a little bit later too. So, as I go, it's the, I want to say the, most of their players were under 26 years old at last year. So, um, so with this, with this whole new season, it also, while for NBA players, it might be a little stressful for us. NBA fans, it's going to be fucking fun because <laughs> everything is happening so quickly, so quickly. And even the NBA free agency might start before the draft, which is a first for the NBA, which I've always wondered why they haven't done it. Yeah. Because usually as a team, you get free agents and then whoever you're not able to get you draft. AKA that's what happens in the NFL and NHL, but oh well. But so we don't know. We're still a little confused on when free agency starts, when drafts, when if that's going to be before or after this draft or anything like that. We do know that trades are going to be opening up, I think, just early in the week. I want to say the week before the draft or the week of draft. Yeah, they haven't said it exact like an exact date, but yeah, it's supposed to be shortly in parentheses from Short. what I read, like shortly before the draft happens. So I wouldn't be surprised if it's a week or even just a few days, but we'll see. I'm really excited for the free agents. It's not a huge you know splash class that you're going to be really excited about but there's some you know free agents worth chasing and the spurs have quite a few free agents that they may be interested retaining themselves and as if no one has been doing this all summer fire up the train machines (laughs) because the trades are going to be happening pretty soon um let's get started and let's talk about what the the spurs offseason is as a whole so first off big elf in the room demar Derozan. DeMar DeRozan has a player option coming up that's worth $27 million, $27.7 million to be exact. And the question is, will he? Ex- first, the question is, will he accept that option or will he decline that option? Noah, what do you think? I think it's a no-brainer, yes. I mean, you cannot leave that much money on the table. He's not going to get that much money from anywhere else. The only scenario in which I could see him declining is if he opts out and they do a sign-and-trade for maybe not exactly the same money, but somewhere in the same ballpark. That's pretty much the only scenario I see him opting out. I know there have been a ton of reports, not a ton, but a few throughout the year that are saying he's upset, and maybe he is, maybe he isn't. But if you read into what he said from that uh, or what that anonymous agent said in The Athletic, it just said he's unhappy in the city of San Antonio. It didn't say he hates the Spurs. It didn't say he doesn't like playing for the Spurs. He just doesn't like San Antonio. And if you think of it this way, there are a ton of players who play in Milwaukee. Who wants to play in Milwaukee? No offense to Milwaukee. I'm sure there are a ton of players who are happy playing for the Bucks but don't love the city of Milwaukee. So yeah. I kind of see it as that way. When it comes to people saying, oh, San Antonio's an un... Is un, a, <laughs> un uh, what's it called? Not, not a free uh, agent destination? Yes, or it's unattractive. Shut sure. the fuck up. Is like I get to say I like that I get to cuss on my own podcast because <laughs> I dropped the F bomb on on the Lockdown Spurs and I got really ridiculed for it, but <laughs> I can say what the fuck I want. But um but yeah, but shut the fuck up, please, when it comes to that. It's this is a one, there's attraction with Pop being here. And sure. having Tim Duncan as assistant head coach as well. There's still attraction to coming to a fr- storied franchise that has great development. That's some the, some of the best coaching in the league, and just having the story conditioning and history that they've always had. Plus Chip England, you can never go wrong with Chip England. That's true, legend. And in even this, and then you add on the culture that this team has. There's more to there's more to San Antonio besides oh the city's boring or 
the team is quote unquote boring. There's a lot more to it. The Spurs have a lot of money that they're going to give, and players know that. Players know that Spurs have a lot of money to offer, and they will happily accept money, especially if it's $27 million. But when it comes to DeMar, I think he will take the option. Yeah. It's Like you said, it's a no-brainer with the money situation that's going on. And before yesterday, it was kind of up in the air, and so it was kind of like, I think DeMar's going to take the money no matter what. I think it might be a bit mixed now. Like going, to, the levels are going down, but it's not it's, it's not going down that much for me. I think he still takes that player option. I think he gets traded, in my opinion. I think he does get traded, and does the Spurs a favor? In my, I think the lowest chance is that he walks, but I also I can still see him on the team for at least his last season. Yeah, I could see him on the team for the last season. I really, if I were in position, his position, I wouldn't pass up that money. I don't think he will, and I do think he will probably be dealt. I mean, as great as he was in the bubble with those young guys, and he was great. He worked really well as a facilitator. Probably the best closer on the team. Yeah, exactly. He really took a step back at the beginning of the game, let other guys get their touches, get their points, and then he came in clutch at the end of games. He really did. But even though he did that, I don't see him being a major part of the Spurs' future and. You know, I wouldn't be upset to see him leave. And one thing I want everyone to know is I have so much respect for DeMar DeRozan. Like, if there's anybody in the NBA who I want to see win a championship, even if it's not with the San Antonio Spurs, it's got to be DeMar. He's been through a lot. He's hustled. He's made all-star teams. He's all-NBA guy. Um, You know, he was done pretty dirty by (laughs) Toronto. Um, I'd love to see him get a chip somewhere along uh, along the road in his career. And the argument is that I've always seen on Twitter that I've always, and you know who you are, the people I'm talking about. <laughs> Sorry, I'm calling you guys out. But some people do say that, oh, this team's not going to have a score, that this team needs DeMar to have, to have scoring. I can already tell by your face that you're, you're going to answer this question, but what do you think about that? Look, I think a lot of the young guys could easily step up and fill the gaps where DeMar, exactly. like we have guys like Derek, DeJounte, Lonnie, Keldon, All guys who I firmly believe, and I will stand by this, like you can come for me if you want to. If you hear this, you can say you're so wrong. I think I'm so right. All these guys, (laughs) all of these guys are guys who are capable, in my mind, of averaging 10 to 15 points. In Derek's case, in Keldon's case, I easily could see them averaging 15 plus next season. And for that reason alone, they didn't average that many points a season because they didn't get as many touches. They didn't have as many opportunities. They didn't play as much as the veterans who were in front of them who were very limited. And I think with DeMar gone, a lot of guys can step up, plus the rookie who's coming in, plus whoever they bring in in free agency. And they have a guy who you're going to have to assume maybe someone like Trey Lyles or Yaka Pertle will be able to step up, even if it's just a little bit. I'm not that worried about it. I really am not worried. I'm very much the same way. I think this team is capable, has capable young guys that can step up. Hell, Derek in the bubble scored 18.9 points per game. And that would have been like 20-something if he hadn't have left a game early injured. Like, he yeah. was on pace to average like 22, 5, and 5 if in the he, bubble if he hadn't have been injured. And I he, still think he deserved to be on one of those all-bubble teams. Yes. If he didn't lo- leave that New Orleans game with a bruised knee early and then didn't really have a limited role in the Houston game afterward, I think he would. He could have easily scored more. And then, like you said, you got guys like Kelton. Kelton scored, scored back-to-back 20-point games in the bubble. And that's coming off the bench. And so Keldon can easily come into a score role. The way that I see Keldon, though, is kind of like a Manu role. And I think Keldon will elevate that, but he scored off the bench like Manu always would. And you have Lonnie Walker, who has a, has a bag full of tricks in it that can do it, and then show his playmaking abilities in the bubble, too, that I'm pretty sure that he learned from DeMar. So 
there's capable guys of scoring on this team. You don't need DeMar to be the playmaker. Is it nice to have an all-star on the team that's already kind of established? Yes, it is. But everyone wants these young guys to play. And then they say, oh, but I want to keep DeMar. I want to keep LaMarcus. Well, how the fuck are they going to get developed if they're not going to get the opportunity? you got to give them the opportunity to play. But yet you say, I really want these guys to play, but I kind of want DeMar still. Yeah, and I know people can't see me right now, but I'm rolling my eyes at that oh, opinion. Oh, yes, you are. Like, it is, it's, it's to me just so ridiculous to have that that mindset that they need DeMar, they need LaMarcus, but the young guys somehow have to have more touches or need more shots or need to average more points. That's not going to happen with these guys around. And in terms of playmaking, like I know some people may be worried, well, DeMar let us an assist per game. I think Derek could easily do that. I was looking at the stats before I came in here tonight. Derek ranked top in the league in pick and roll efficiency as a ball handler that's not easy to do and people may go oh it's a low volume it most certainly was not he had one of the top 30 possessions in pick and roll this year so i think he could easily carry that into next season i can see Dejounte, someone picking up a little bit of the playmaking and we saw lonnie make some really impressive strides as a passer as someone who can kick in in a or drive and kick i really do not think they need DeMar. Now, it's nice to have a DeMar, but they don't need him. And I really do think that Derek White, and maybe people don't agree with me on this, but I think Derek White still has a little bit of untapped potential. He's a late bloomer, as we all know, former Division Three guy to go to Division One, late draft pick and late bloomer. We know this. I think he could be someone who can average 25-5 and five for an entire season if he's one of the main options. Yeah, and looking at the stats, so DeMar for the year averaged 5.6 assists per game. And the bubble, which I think I know is a low number, it's only eight. It's only seven games, and only like seven and a half games for him. He still averaged five five assists a game. So Derek has the capability of being. The, and honestly, to me, I think of him as point guard one in this for this team, not Dejounte. I think yeah. of him as point guard one. I think Dejounte is a better shooting guard, and we talked about this before. But Derek is. I think Derek is going to be the face of this franchise, honestly, in terms of talent. He's probably one of the, he's the most one of the most talented guys on this team in offense capabilities, his defensive capabilities, being one of the best defending guards in the league, being able to take five charges in a, a single damn yeah. game and have a chipped tooth from it too. So he is capable of being a really good player. And then also add on 45% shooting, 39 from deep. Derek has what it takes. And he got thrown into the fire last season just because of because of injuries to DeJounte. And then you had injuries. I want to say you had some other injuries as well. He even started the started the year off with an injury, and he came out and became one probably the most valuable player on that team team in the 2018-19 season. And this season was no doubt the same. Yeah, and I think Derek White uh, is obviously very well rounded on every side of the ball. And I know people like to throw around this term "jack of all trades, master of none." Derek very much is a jack of all trades, and and I don't he see, is, I don't see it as an insult though. I don't, I don't see it as an insult either, but I also think there's more to it than that. Like I said an elite pick-and-roll ball handler playmaker. He is somebody who has shown an, a capability to be a good volume three-point shooter. He is someone who can score out of the pick-and-roll himself. He is somebody who can create his own shot to a certain extent, and we saw that in the 2018, or was it 2019 playoffs? I'm kind of losing my mind. 2019, 2018-19 playoffs. Yeah, 2018-2019 against the Denver Nuggets, and I still think he's somebody who should have been given a larger role, but you know, I'm not in charge of the team, so I cannot control that, but he is somebody who I think could easily carry a bigger role. He's done, he's shown out every time he's 
given a bigger opportunity with the Spurs. And, and for that reason alone, I'd be confident with maybe not like a playoff caliber team, but at least a competitive team with Derek running the show. Definitely. I, and honestly, it could be a playoff team. I, I can say this. If that bubble team had Trey Lyles, they wouldn't have made the playoffs. That team was on a roll with the rotations they were running out. The problem is they were missing size. They were just missing size in terms of depth because you only had Jakob. You only really had Jakob and Drew out there. And then Jakob would get into foul trouble, and you would have Drew out there had to play conservatively because you don't have anyone else behind you. Yeah, I really like the Spurs in the bubble one because they were a small ball lineup, something that we really haven't seen from them. They did it really effectively. I don't know if Trey Lyles would have made them a playoff team. Here's my opinion. They were a playoff team. If not for a missed call, goaltending call on Joel Embiid, and one defensive mishap from DeJounte, that team's in the playoffs. Like, there's no way the Spurs are sitting out players against Utah. And to me, there's no way they're losing that game because Utah had no incentive to play any real rotation players. And we saw that in the last game. They played a lot of their, like, G League guys. They played a lot of third-string, second-string guys, heavy minutes. The Spurs would have won that game if they wanted to. They could have been a playoff team last year. Just a little bit. Too a little bit too little too late, and right? I, so I say that because I think I think that Denver game was winnable, but with Yaku getting to foul trouble again, that's where I say if Trey Lyles was on that bench and able to play, being able to stretch the floor and clean the glass, imagine how imagine having both Jakob Drew and Trey cleaning the glass like the crate because Jakob and Drew were cleaning the glass cleaning the glass like crazy. Yeah, adding Trey Lyles out though out there would even help you more, and then to stretch the floor with your big. That's so true. I think the team would have been even better if Trey Lyles was there. Yeah, I think I think the only thing you lose with Trey Lyles is maybe a little bit of defensive toughness. Not the best defender out there, but I think he's steady on that end. And you're right, he does stretch the floor. He's somebody who's a pretty good glass cleaner. And at the end of the day, we'll never know. But I still think that team is close to getting to the playoffs. And I think next year, again, I'm not sure that they make the playoffs, but they at least compete for that 8th, 7th seed range. I don't think they're going to be this awful basketball team next year, even if DeMar isn't there. So let's go ahead and move on to free agents, and let's stick with Trey Lyles. He is non-guaranteed. He's has a five point five million non-guaranteed contract. I'm just it's it's no brainer. He gets that that money becomes guaranteed and maybe an even possible extension after next season. What do you think with Trey Lyles? Yeah, Trey Lyles is a player who I'm not in love with, but like for five million dollars, that's a pretty good deal. He's a pretty solid player, and I I don't know if a lot of people know this, but Trey Lyles and it's kind of a hard stat to track. It took me a long time to figure this out, but Trey Lyles had the biggest jump in three point percentage for volume three point shooters. So anybody shooting more than two per game in the entire league, he went from like twenty eight percent to thirty nine ish percent. It's yeah, Chip England probably helped that a little bit. And I think if he can continue making progress there and at least stay serviceable as a defender, that five million dollar value is great. I don't see the Spurs saying nah, you know. Hit the road because I don't think you can replace him with somebody better for less money or equal money. All right, let's go into two other guys that are non-guaranteed monies, and the way the reason I want to talk about these two is because when you you started looking at this offseason, and if you want to make moves, you need to have roster spots open, and you do not have that many roster spots available going into this offseason. First, let's talk with Ch- about Chemezi Metu, one point six million non-guaranteed money. He's kind of on the ropes for me. It's it he did not. I'm, he did not clearly did not show much in the bubble. He clearly did not earn any spot within the rotation, even though the big men were desperately needed. There just seems to be no confidence with Chemezi Metu out there, and I'm thinking he might his see, his career with San Antonio is not going to be lasting any longer. But also note, this is a former second round pick. 
Yeah, I think the Chemezi Metu experiment is pretty much over with. I was never super wowed by the Chemezi Metu pick, and it's hard to be wowed by any second round pick. At first, I was initially a little bit excited to see what maybe he could bring, how he could develop. He's got some interesting physical tools. He has a little bit of a jumper. But I think at the end of the day, he doesn't have a great feel for the game of basketball, at least at this NBA level where your feel has to be good to stay on the floor. He's consistently lost on the defensive end and out of position. And on the other end, he doesn't really necessarily seem to be 100% comfortable. And that's understandable. He didn't get a lot of minutes, but I think there's a reason he didn't get a lot of minutes or opportunities. And that's just because he's not... At this point in his career, maybe later, but at this point in his career, he's not an NBA player. And it's crazy to me. I actually at one point was like, Drew Eubanks, I'm lower on him than I am Chemezi Metu. But then as I saw him more, I liked Drew Eubanks more, and he showed me more, and he stepped up in a bigger way. So at this point, I'm sorry, Chemezi, but I think it's it's time for San Antonio to move on. And Chemezi is can be great in Austin, and I think there's no question, but I think he's one of those players that got stuck in that, thresh- that threshold of, you can be damn good in G League, but you're not progressing to the NBA. And I think the biggest contributor to this is his sloppy gameplay. He has a high amount of turnovers. Yeah. Yes, he can block. Yes, he can He can be all over the damn floor because he is an athletic specimen. But he is very un... It's... He's not disciplined with the ball. Yeah, he's definitely undisciplined. I think he averaged about three turnovers in the G League, which is not great. And he doesn't foul a ton, but he does commit a lot of like careless fouls yes. uh, in general. Not that he has consistent foul trouble, but that he does tend to commit careless fouls and ones that can cost your team. And I like him. I want to see him do well elsewhere, but I think at this point, that's where it is going to be elsewhere. And then a nurse that I don't have in front of me, but I know they track it. Is he goaltends a lot too, and I think it's just because of his crazy wingspan, his crazy length. He just again, it goes to that undisciplined type of play. And I just, I don't think this. Like I agree with you, I don't think Chemezi Metu is going to be on this roster anymore. Go moving on to the last non guaranteed Tyler Zeller. I, Sorry, I, gotta, I didn't mean to laugh. I like Tyler Zeller. He's a no, he's a the joke I was going to the joke I was going to do. I was just going to do a long pause and then laugh. So you got you did it for me because I don't. Tyler Zeller is going to go into training camp. I don't see him getting making the, that roster in any sort of way. He was just kind of there for depth play. This was not a huge signing. Tyler Zeller, I'm sorry, buddy. You're 30 years old. You're not going anywhere. And I don't think the Spurs want to pay you $2.4 million. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. I'm sorry, Tyler. Love UNC basketball. Thought you had a pretty good start to your career. And making an NBA is not easy. But at this point, I don't think he's an NBA player. And he shouldn't be in San Antonio next yes. season. All right, let's go on to the unrestricted free agents, which we have two of. That's Bryn Forbes and Marco Bellinelli. Just going to keep the long pause. <laughs> can, I, can, I, can I laugh again? Yes, you can. I'm yes, sorry. Can. Bryn, Marco, good guys from you know all accounts. Um, hard workers, it seems, from their Instagram stories. They're always working out. They're always getting swole. They're always shooting in the gym. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I like... Guys who can space the floor. But you have to do something else. else. You have to do something else. Or at least be able to create for yourself. Or play like a smidgen of defense. And at this point, I don't think Marco, just like Zeller, is not an NBA player. Bren may be an NBA player. He could fit actually pretty well, I think, on like the Sixers where they need shooting. And they can mask his defensive shortcomings. But in San Antonio, you got to move on from these guys. Or if you bring one of them back... Bring Bryn back. Make Don't him a bench Marco. warmer, maybe. Don't bring I, I just, Marco. Exactly. Marco is it off limits to me. No, like Not in terms of nobody can touch him, as in the Spurs shouldn't touch him. Yes. It, it's over. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's got to be over. Yeah, I I liked it. I liked when they brought Marco back. I think he did some good play, and then there was some not solid play. Just inconsistent all around. 
He was a good shooter still for this team, but his defense, his lack of defense, it was not there. Even though for his size, you think he would be better on defense, but I think that comes with age as well as him being just a primary shooter. Now, the 2014 Marco, I'm always going to love. I'm oh, always yeah. going to love Marco Bellinelli from the 2014 cha- championship team. I cannot deny that. But Marco Bellinelli in the second stint is not the Marco Bellinelli of 2014. He is a primary shooter. Not primary shooter. He's a just, is he just a kind of a... He's just a sharpshooter, and that's about it, and nothing much. And I hate to say it, but he wasn't a great sharpshooter, and Marco will always hold a special place in my Spurs heart for his contributions to that 2014 title team. But Marco, bad defense this year, really strange shot selection, like took these insane leaners, that's insane faders early into the shot clock. And I just, look, I, I was so mad for so much of the year at Marco, but I, I got to be honest with you. Marco didn't play himself. Someone had to play Marco. I kind of let Marco off the hook a little bit. He couldn't just say, hey, you know what? I don't want to play because you know what? If I was in his his position, I'd be on the court too, jacking up shots. That's so fun. (laughs) Like if I go to a rec center, I'm open from three. Even if I'm not 100% open, I'm going to fire that away because it's fun. (laughs) I get it. But Spurs, it's it's time to move on from Marco. I'm sorry. All right. And so why would you say that you'd rather keep Bryn over over Marco? I'd keep Bryn over Marco because at this point I still think Bryn is a pretty dead, like lethal dead eye shooter from standstill. You can run him off screens. Um, he's somebody who has shown a little bit of growth every year. He's added a little bit of something. So he implemented a little bit of uh, mid range game over the off season. We saw a little bit in the preseason. We saw it a little bit during the season. And he's somebody who I still think can be masked by a good defensive group. Now, if he's out there in lineups with like Patty Mills. It's not going to be optimal, but if you put him with like a Derek or DeJounte or a, a lineup that can mask his flaws, I still think he can be useful, but I don't think he should be somebody who plays any more than 12 minutes per game as long as not a starter. everyone is healthy. Definitely not a starter. He was it's- arguably the worst starter in the NBA this season, and that's just not going to fly going forward. And I think he mostly started because there was a lack of confidence with Derek shot, with Lonnie shot. There just wasn't confidence, but I think going into the bubble, that that team changed. Brandon didn't start to play a single fucking minute. No, not even one. And I think that comes from having a lot of more confidence in DeJounte's shot, Derek's shot, Lonnie's shot, Keldon's shot. Keldon's was probably the biggest surprise for me come shooting from three consistently. Yeah, and you know what? That's not something I buy into super heavy because we saw in the G League he shot about 25%. A little bit different scenario. He was the primary option, so some of these looks he were getting he was getting weren't great. But you know what? I think next year we can probably expect him to shoot maybe, if he plays, like maybe 25-ish, 30-ish minutes next year. We can expect him to shoot maybe two, two and a half threes. And I think he's someone who can knock him down like 35 to 37%, and which is still re- really good. A respectable rate. Which is still really good. With Bryn, on the other hand, he gave us too much hope. He gave us too much hope in the preseason. A little bit. Because he much, was yeah. going he was going up and he was shooting really consistently and really shooting lights out. But I think we all ignored his defense on that. And I'm gonna be I'm gonna be honest, I ignored that defense. I did too. I wrote an article for Pounding the Rock talking about how uh Bryn Forbes was I think I wrote not a flash in the pan. I was very wrong. Everybody's wrong every once in a while, but Bryn gave me a lot of hope. I thought that he was hit pretty well in the preseason like he wasn't exposed as much he shot really well he showed us a little bit of mid-range game he got to the rim a little bit he showed a little bit of playmaking and I went you know what Bryn's gonna take a small step forward and that's a good thing (laughs) but in reality he took a pretty big step back in my mind and it's hindsight's 2020 of course but 
I, there, there's some good attributes to Bren's game. Of course, he's a knock, he's a knockdown shooter. I think he's a un, he's an underrated finisher inside because he has a pretty thick body for his size and he he, does. he can finish strong. He is and he's shown capabilities to drive inside and make some really sh- good shots. Problem is, it's been it's really underutilized at least with this Spurs squad, and he jacks up too many shots and his defensive liability. He's just too big of a defensive liability, especially on a Spurs squad that's already weak on defense. Yeah, I think the problem is not just him being underutilized, but it's hard for him to get to the rim. He doesn't have a great first step. He's not someone who has a very deep bag in terms of his like ball handling capabilities. And so it's hard for him to get to the rim. So when he does get to the rim, I think he does finish well because he's strong and he does embrace contact pretty well once he's there, but it's hard for him to get there. And then once he's there, you've got to deal with his lack of vertical pop and then his lack of length, and then he's going up against shot blockers. I, I just don't think it's somewhere that they can really utilize him more. But, you know, if he's there and he gets you a layup and he finishes through contact, then good. But otherwise, I'm I, I'm really he's, not. Overall, he's just a limited player. Yeah, he is limited. And he's done a really great job. Great story, of course. But, you know, great stories don't really have a place on a bad team, right? No, not at all. All right, let's move on to... Probably the second, besides DeMar, probably the second biggest name of, at least within free agency, restricted free agent Jakob Pertl. And Jakob is coming off a restricted free agent, so the Spurs can match any deal that they give him. And from some of the interviews that we've seen, Jakob seems confident that he's going to get re-signed. It just depends on how the Spurs do it, and that's mostly because they can't talk with the Spurs. No player can really talk with the Spurs until free agency starts, so no, there's really no true indication of if a team's interested or not. And knowing the Spurs... They're quite as hell when it comes to their, comes to that, so they're not revealing any of that. Hell, they would, won't even reveal a jersey that I had to break <laughs> news about. But um, I really hope, in my personal opinion, I think Jakob is great for this team. He's been a great, excellent contributor. He makes his he makes his teammates much better on the floor, and I'll show you in the advanced stats after this. And I think the Spurs should resign him. Now we saw a value we saw a value rating. I forgot who was by that showed him at about. His value was about $13 million. I think that's a little high, especially with his performance in the bubble. But I will still, I will still happily pay him ten to twelve million. Yeah, ten to twelve million is probably a fair range for me. Again, shameless plug, but I wrote an article about it, and I think that's about so many a articles. fair range. I'm hey, I'm putting in the work. I'm grinding, man. Um, but yeah, I mean that is a good range to me. Ten to twelve million, thirteen million. I might be willing to do it. But he's not someone who I think if you lose him, it's the end of the world. But he's someone who I think the Spurs really should consider retaining. One of the best shot-blocking bigs in the NBA. He ranked in the top 20 in shots blocked this year despite having way fewer minutes than most of the other shot blockers on that list. And you're going to talk about in a second, and I don't have the exact number in front of me, but his on-off split, so like his net rating, is insane. He was one of the most efficient players defensively. He's a really good finisher, even though we may not think that because of the bubble. He is a solid finisher around the rim. I I posted a video today of where he got a nice, like he was doing a pick and roll, which I'm going to talk more about the pick and roll. He's doing the pick and roll with someone, got a nice pass and just hammer that shit and he, he's got to do that more often and i know i think the the whole dunking and finishing thing is a little bit overblown but it is annoying to see such a big guy not finish so often i think he'll be working on that and last thing i want to talk about with Jakob, and then i'll throw it back to you Jakob averages 5.2 assists per 36 minutes that's really high for a big guy now i'm not saying he's nikola Jokic. i'm not saying he's bam out of bio but he's someone who keeps the ball moving and can find an open man an open cutter really well and his turnovers 1.9 per 
per 36. That's a really good ratio, especially for a center. So there was a lot of reasons to like Jakob Pertl, and I think the Spurs should bring him back. It's And one of the biggest stats that I love is his net rating and his offensive and defensive ratings per 100 possessions. It's fucking insane, the numbers he puts up for that advanced stat. He, le- he almost led the team at 125 offensive rating. Only Kelton Johnson had better, but I also see that as an anomaly, being only that, only that Kelton played 300 minutes. Sure. Jakob, on the other hand, played 1,100 minutes. And then you add on that he had the best defensive rating on the team at 108 by a landslide. And this isn't just this season. He did this last season. He was 133 on offense, on the offensive rating, and 108 on defensive. And then his second year in Toronto, 122 on offense, 104 on defense. He has consistently shown that whenever he's on the floor, he's making a difference. And it's insane, the defensive capabilities that this man has. We call him the block lobster for a fucking reason, because he he has 3.9 blocks per 100 possessions. That's a high number. He was in top 20 in the league in blocks and was in top 10 in block percentage. This man can block. He knows how to play defense. He can do really well in the post. We didn't, we didn't really see that in the bubble because he got into foul trouble, didn't have depth, he had to play conservative, and then also add on bullshit fouls too. I'm going to say it. He has some really bullshit fouls against both Philadelphia yeah. and Denver. Soft, soft foul calls, yeah. And you, But you see how valuable he is. Whenever the two teams that you lost against that were really games, I'm not, I'm not even going to bother thinking about the Utah game because that didn't really count. Doesn't count. In but my mind, doesn't count. In the two games that he played poorly, the team played poorly overall, and they lost those games. But every, the games that they won, he did really fucking well. And he can clean the glass. He has a crazy rebounding stat of 15.3 rebounds per 100 possessions. Yeah. Again, go back to the blocks. 3.9 blocks per possession. And he doesn't turn over the ball. Even though he's a big man, it's kind of given. But he shoots well whenever he comes to inside the pocket. He doesn't really stretch it forward, which is a downside of him. Sure. But his pick-and-roll abilities, being able to screen, set the pick-and-roll, especially with Derek White. He's probably one of the best pick-and-rollers with Derek White. And just to, he makes his teammates better. I just don't know what's about what it's about, but he just makes his teammates much better and he's just one of the most solid centers that you can find out there. Yeah, and I'll make one last point. So I want to make a correction. I said per 36 minutes. I meant per 100 possessions, looking at the wrong thing. But one more thing about uh, Jakob is he is an excellent communicator on the defensive end. Now, I'm not going to say he's like a defensive anchor like the level of Tim Duncan because few players in NBA history have ever been that good. But he's a really solid defensive anchor. He knows where to be. He knows where to make the right rotations. And even though he may be considered like traditionally slow, he's got good feet. He has great instincts. He has great timing. And he is able to recover really well to make blocks even when he's beat. We saw it with James Harden where he kind of rotated over once he got past Lonnie and he blocked one of those shots that could have won the game, you know, could have won the game for Houston. So I think he is immensely valuable and I don't know how many other players in the league average 15 rebounds per 100 possessions and nearly four blocks per 100 possessions. Just ridiculous numbers and, you know, maybe he's never a star or superstar, but he is definitely like a glue guy. And I think that for $12 million, $10 million, that's excellent value. And it's you don't find good centers around this. And this is a guy that's been pretty damn consistent, too. This, is, this isn't like a Dwayne Dedman. Dwayne Dedman <laughs> had athletic ability, but he was inconsistent. Jakob Pearl is shown to be very consistent, and he just needs to get the opportunity. And shown that he given the opportunity, he can play really well. And I hate that he was on the bench most of this season. He was coming off the bench, and every time he came out, he was doing really well. 
At some point, he was ever. I want to say he had like ten plus games straight with a block, block recorded, because his defensive awareness is brilliant. He, I saw a clip from the bubble where he was got, he was guarding up around the perimeter, big guy. He saw a pass go to go to Darren Fox off a pick and roll. That man instantly went straight to the rim and got a block. And then also add on, he has kind of a Tim Duncan like quality where Tim Duncan, whenever he blocks shots, he didn't send them out of bounds. He kept the possession. Yeah. And Drew does a really, not Drew, sorry. Uh, Jakob does a really good job of keeping that ball in possession and doesn't let that ball become a turnover. So, Jakob, I think he's worth the money. Honestly, I'm, any money that the Spurs signed him to, I'm not expecting the Spurs to oversign him. Even though, even if he is signed Powell Gasol money, I'm probably not going to worry because Jakob Pertl is, like you said, is such a glue to this team and is probably one of the most valuable big guys on this team. Yeah, one of the last things that I will say is there was a stretch from late November to late December, where he was averaging 21 and a half minutes per game. And in this stretch, he averaged 2.5 blocks per game, just in 21 and a half minutes per game. And I think if we saw him play a little bit larger role, a little bit more minutes, we could easily see him get to like two and a half, maybe three blocks per game, because you're right. His defensive awareness is, in my opinion, second to none on this roster. He is just so valuable. So definitely a guy who the Spurs should retain, but we'll see if they do. All right, let's talk about another guy, another big guy that I I honestly really like. And it's also because he kind of resembles Jakob a little bit, too. And it's crazy. I was looking at the stats. Drew Eubanks has, like, nearly identical numbers to Jakob when it comes to, like, per 100 possession stats. It's a bit crazy. But Drew Eubanks is going to be restricted. He's coming off a two-way contract. And so it's kind of a similar situation as Jakob to where he Spurs can't match any money that, he, that they sign. My source is thinks that he will get get a full-time contract with the Spurs this season and not, not be moved, but also depends on, because it's Spurs, we don't know anything, of course, like that. But Drew Eubanks is, in the bubble, he showed that he is much more valuable than his undrafted status. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, and, and first off, I want to apologize to Drew Eubanks because for a really long time, I wasn't really sold on his ability to be this, you know, consistent, role-playing NBA player. And I'll tell you why. One of the reasons that I was so skeptical is because they kept bringing him back and forth and back and forth. And I don't think he ever really got a chance to settle in with the team, really get comfortable with the players he was playing around and in the system. And once he got that opportunity for consistent minutes, for a consistent role, he was excellent. He was excellent in the bubble. Now, I'm not ready to say he's a starter caliber player or even necessarily like the first guy off the bench, but he definitely has a career in the NBA. He definitely could be a role-playing big man. And just looking at his per 100 possessions, 19, almost 19 points, almost 15 rebounds, nearly three blocks. That's really good. That's really solid. Now, his turnover numbers are a little high, but I expect those to go down as he continues to get familiar and comfortable with the guys who he's playing with. So... I think they should bring him back. He is someone who I like. Now, I, I don't really know what like the, the price tag is going to be for him, and I don't know if you have an estimate. I don't have an estimate, but I think it's not it's not going to be above $5 million. I think that's a bit obvious. I think this because he still has a bit to prove to this team, sure. to Spurs. And I think it's definitely going to be within the range of maybe $2, 3000000 I would I would assume maybe maybe $1 million. So $1 to $3 million would be a realistic range. And I think that's great value for him. Again, it's, like that's it's great awesome. value. And then... Given that, show that he can outprove, and he can out, he can prove that he's worth more than that. But he is such a. If you watch his, if you watch some of his Austin footage, he is excellent in in a nice high role. 
per hundred per thirty. Actually, I didn't get the per. I didn't get this per game. Per game, he was scoring sixteen points per game, six point three rebounds, almost one one and a half blocks, on about twenty three minutes a night, as well as sixteen sixty one percent shooting. And this is a guy that's not. He's he's a strong finisher. He has a great post game as well with his hooks. This man is called the hook for a reason. He's got a nice little baby hook there. It looked really good. It's he finished hook. it most of the time. I don't know the exact percentages, but I would guess it's like somewhere in the 75 to 80% range because that thing almost went in 100% that's of his, the time. That's his like. golden shot. That's definitely his golden shot. And he is, but his ability to run the floor, being athletic, athletic as he is at 6'10 and whatever weight he is, he's very athletic for his size. He can run the floor. He can be a great rim runner for this team. And then like Jakob, he makes his teammates better. Just with his energy, with the way his awareness, and then also add on that he can, again, he has a big body that he just he can screen for anyone, and he's always just chasing balls. If you watch some of his stuff in the in the bubble, he's going for rebounds constantly. He's going for fucking everything. Yeah, and I also want to say that dunk that he had on Thanasis that should have counted. He what were they someone. doing? Like he had to look down. Did they want him to step on him? And even if he did look down, like in a petty way. Good for him. That was an amazing dunk. That was like one of the few plays that got me out of my seat in those games preceding the actual seeding game. So, yeah, I like Drew Eubanks. And one fun stat that I've been saving for this about him, Drew Eubanks, ninth highest single season player efficiency rating in G League history, 27.52. Only eight other players have ever had a better season. And that wasn't this year. That was actually the prior season when he had a little bit of a bigger role. And even in this reduced role that we saw him because of all the other guys who were coming into the G League this year, I thought he was outstanding in the G League. I think he'll be just a really solid player in the NBA. But if you're paying him like two, three million, there's not really much more you can ask from him. And, you know, I, I think he's somebody who is worth retaining, even if it's just in the short term. And then also add on the offense, looking at he was one of the better offensive rating player, players, even though with the limited. So it's been anomaly. He had similar offensive and defensive rating numbers to Drew to Jakob. Yeah, and then add on that this guy's it's kind of like another glue guy. Where in terms of the energy that he brings for his teammates, we all know this man is a bench reaction king. He has all the great facial expressions. He's always out there supporting his teammates. And I, whenever I interviewed him back in February, I had to ask him what one of his specialties was, and he says, "I bring the energy." It's there's a corny saying. You may have all the talent in the world, you may not, but you can always bring energy no matter what. And so that's what I try to do. So that's what I try doing. You know who he reminds me of a little bit? Who? Myers Leonard. Myers Leonard started for the Heat all season, and then when it came to the finals, he was benched. But he was every single play, whether or not he was playing, he was off of the bench. He was clapping for teammates. He was cheering. And you see that from Drew Eubanks every single game regardless of if he gets onto the floor or if he plays a minute or if he plays 20 minutes. And I really love that about him because I think being somebody who brings the energy is such an underrated part of being a good teammate, right? So if you want a good teammate, look no further than Drew Eubanks because he's cheering for everybody's successes, not just his own. What I, another player he reminds me of that I think everyone knows, I say that he's a big man version of Patty Mills. Sure, a little bit. And what's funny is, whenever I asked him what some of his role models and mentors was, off the court, I say Patty for sure. Just bringing the energy and keeping me locked in, making me feel like I'm part of the family. He's always somebody I can go to. And that that also just adds on to how great Patty is. I just love Patty. And I, I, think, it, I, think, it, I think it translates, translates to good transition to 
we don't we I didn't have this written down, but Patty's future with this team. Yeah. He is now coming on an expiring contract, and it's a bit high. But what what do you, future do you think you see with Patty Mills at least with the Spurs? So for me, I think Patty got overpaid last payday, but a lot of players did because of the the expansion and the cap. You know, but yeah, it was a dumb move. It was a dumb move twenty sixteen to expand the cap that way, but. But, I, I digress. But, you know, I think at the end of the day, when you look at Patty, he brings a lot of intangibles in the same way that we were talking about Drew Eubanks. He's cheering for teammates. He's waving that towel. He's, you know, putting his arms around guys. He's in people's ears, you know, giving them words of encouragement. And I think even if he doesn't play like a huge role literally on the court, he can be so instrumental to keeping a locker room engaged, motivated, and together. And I think that is something that is really important. And he's a huge part of the Spurs history. And I know a lot of people don't want to say, you know, don't hang his jersey in the rafters. I'm one of those people that I think stats are important. But if you're with the team that long and you're that important. To the culture. Yeah, to the culture. you it, To me, it's a no-brainer. And, and I'm always going to love Patty Mills. I think they should try to retain him, even if it's for four or five million as like maybe a third stringer or you know spot backup because patty has earned that from the spurs right i'm not saying he's earned like a loyalty contract that is wildly beyond his value but i do think he holds value and i do think he could still get on an nba court and be effective like we saw him be a really good three-point shooter we saw him be someone who can do a little bit of pick and roll and be someone who also brings energy on the defensive end and i know that he's not the greatest defender but he gives effort. His effort is 100% all the time. He gets a ton of deflections. He's coming up with steals, loose balls. And I think that is something that is so infectious that just cannot be valued in the stats. And I think that's a big difference between him and Bryn Forbes. The yeah. the energy that they bring. Bryn Forbes doesn't really bring energy on the defensive end. Patty is all over the place. I remember in the first game they played Kawhi. They put Patty on Kawhi. <laughs> and Patty was just swarming him the whole time and giving him a difficult time on the perimeter. And like you said, Patty is, it's intangibles. He does a lot of stuff that not many people can do as a teammate. And he still had good shooting, 38% from the field, averaging, uh, I want to say, tempting, per 100, possession, per 100 possessions, 13 attempts and five mates, 38%. That's still solid, especially for a perimeter shooter that, like he is. And then also add on, we kind of saw him in the bubble, kind of got on a coaching role, where he was sitting on the bench with a notepad and Kind of coaching the guys. And so, kind of like Tim Duncan, I would not be surprised if Patty Mills gets a coaching job in the, in the future. I wouldn't either, and I know this is kind of cliche, like, corporate knowledge, but I think Patty really does have that, right? He probably knows the playbook better than anyone else on the Spurs besides Popovich and his staff because he's been with this team for so long, and he knows what Popovich wants. You know, he, when, when they brought Patty on in 2011-2012, they didn't have to keep him. There's a reason they kept him is because, one, he was a spark plug off the bench, great energy guy, great person, and they've kept him this long because they value those things. And I still firmly believe that Patty Mills has a spot on this roster, even if it isn't in a major role, but at the very least coming off the bench or being on the bench because I, you're right, I do think he could be someone who could be a coach one day, a good X's and O's guy, a guy who's able to motivate people because we've seen that throughout his career. And it just go. I think the other thing I need, I've had to tell people, especially in the last few days, there's more to team building than just players themselves and just skill. There's there's other things you need to look at on a player. You need to look at how they interact, of how their behavior, what kind of what kind of team guy they are. And then all, you gotta look at the money situations as well. You can't just say, "Oh, this trade's gonna be shit because why would they ever do that?" Because of the players. And then also transitions to 
some big trade rumors that we've been getting. So the first trade rumor, which I kind of found, I kind of found from Zach Lowe's podcast, The Low Post, it was talking about the Warriors trading their number two pick to San Antonio for Lamarcus Aldridge and the eleventh pick, and you most likely have to add on a player. I've been saying Draymond because I think the money matches, and. I think this is honestly a really good trade. I think this is a really well-balanced trade in terms of what these what these two teams need. The Spurs needing someone that a defensive specialist and the Warriors needing some cap some money relief with their cap. And I really love this trade. I think this trade would be great. But people keep trying to say, "Oh, why would they ever do that? Money the Warriors would never fucking do that." It's all and it's just a lot of a lot of noise around it that people are not really looking at the true, true thing, the true worth of the trade. Yeah, and you know what? I'm kind of a little bit a part of that crowd. I think when you look at Draymond, he has been the heart and soul of the team on both ends. Obviously, Clay Thompson and Steph Curry, and when Kevin Durant was there, they were all the engine that made the offense run. But Draymond Green is not just a great defender. He's a great playmaker. He's somebody who gets those hustle plays, who gets rebounds. And I think he's somebody suited better to a team that is ready to compete for a championship right now. Like we look at Draymond Green this season, eight points per game, six rebounds, six assists. Those are okay numbers, but you look at the shooting numbers and I don't think it's because he's lost athleticism or ability to shoot. I think it was the players that were around him. 39% from the field, 28% from three free throw, actually the best, the second best of his career. But to me, he's somebody who needs that superstar, second star to be able to be effective. And you bring him to the Spurs, I don't think he's going to be as effective. And I think the Warriors probably want to run it back one more time with him, right? They know what he brings to the table. They know how well he works with Steph and Clay. And if they do move someone, to me, it's probably Andrew Wiggins, which is where I run into an issue. I don't love Andrew Wiggins. I fucking hate not Andrew on Wiggins. The Spurs. I'm sorry, guys. Really, honestly, not on any team. Like, I don't really think he's an empty stats kind of guy to me. He has consistently been on losing teams throughout his career. And as that's a main, not as a a main option. Yeah, it's not a mistake. He He's just not a guy who's able to be your best player. I don't even think he's a guy who should be your second or third best player on a championship team. Incredibly talented guy. A lot of great physical tools. Has a nose for scoring the ball. But not efficiently. Not efficiently and not for a winning team. And for that reason, I don't know that this trade gets done. Now, maybe it does. I think there may be a little bit of legs to it, obviously, because Zach Lowe brought it up. He didn't need to. He didn't have to. There was really no reason or incentive for him to mention anything if it wasn't somewhat true. But I don't think it happens. I think there will probably be better options for the Warriors and for the Spurs. And, you know, maybe maybe it does happen. I wouldn't be upset if it did because I think Draymond does bring a lot to the table. But... I don't love either of their contracts, and I don't know. I like the second pick in this draft. I'd be excited to have the second pick, but really, this draft class, at the end of the day, there are no sure things. So if you're giving the second pick, I don't know. I'm not super excited. And then, and then, and then we we, we, we got to think about LaMarcus Aldridge. Not a great fit for them. Kind of a guy who slows the ball down, ball stopper. Needs a lot of touches. And we saw with Kawhi, we've seen throughout his career, when he's not that number one guy or close to it, Loses a little bit of motivation. He asked for a trade from the Spurs. He showed a little bit of reluctancy to play that secondary option to Kawhi when he was here. I don't know that he fits it. Maybe he maybe he will. 
but I just don't see him fitting in that well with the Warriors. And yes, he stretched the floor really well, shot really well from three this year, a new dynamic to his game. But I don't see him being somewhere they're that interested in because they lose that defensive versatility that the former defensive player of the year, Draymond, brings to the table. LaMarcus, you can play him in drop coverage. He is somebody who can get some blocks, maybe some deflections, but he's not switchable. At this point in his career, coming off a shoulder injury, a season-ending shoulder injury, I don't know. I I just don't see it. So the way that there's two different ways that you got to look at this trade. Okay. One, it's a swap pick. It's a pick swap. Mm -hmm. The Warriors have shown interest, and this is a report from NBC Sports in San Francisco. We talked about this, that they are are actually looking at the trade down into that range that the Spurs are for Sadiq Bey is their main interest. So there's true... There's true. There's some backbone to this possible rumor, as that we've as we've seen. <laughs> Sorry, come on, man. I'm drinking water? How dare you? I'm trying to make, make a point here. You're just drinking water. See how it is? No, but um, but so it, first is a pick swap, and the Warriors clearly want to trade down. The second thing too is their con- their money situation is in complete cap hell. Yeah. Between Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Andrew Wiggins, and Draymond Green. They have 128 million tied up between those four. And that is absolute hell. And that's why they were such a shitty team last year because they didn't have money to really build their depth. And that's why they had guys like Jordan Poole, Damian Lee, Alan Schmel. Smiljik. Smiljik, I think, is how you say it. I'm not 100% sure, but I think it's. Still proves my point. Smiljik. Yeah. <laughs> nobody really knows him that well. Yeah. No one. This team was kind of a bunch of nobodies. And whenever. Once Clay. Once Steph and Clay both went, when Clay went down and then Steph went down, it was over. It was over. It didn't matter that they had D'Angelo Russell and then they got Andrew Wiggins. It didn't matter. This team was going to be bad. And you're right. They are in a terrible cap situation. They do need to offload someone. But I think Andrew Wiggins is probably the guy they try to offload. And there's somebody. Somebody's got to be desperate enough because we've seen teams make stupid moves in the past. Warriors are incredibly intelligent front office. So I think they can get it done somehow. But and just, I but just don't the, see The it. issue is with the Spurs, though, LMA is only being paid $24 million. Yeah. Draymond Green's going to be paid $22.2 million. The money really matches there for between both teams, mm-hmm. especially with LMA being expiring. Sure. That's that's why I think there's a significant interest for getting LMA because LMA is an expiring contract. And if you trade Draymond, you get rid of a guy that you have on the books for four additional years that's getting paid 22 24 25 and then $27 million in player option. You get him off the books for the long term, giving you guys some space, getting you out of the tax, which is going to really fucking suck, especially after this past season and losing all that revenue. They are looking to save themselves financially, even though it might be a a decrease in talent. But the whole point about this trade is going to get save you money. And then also with the pick swap is the rookie salary goes down. They save money in that way, too, because, of course, how the rookie salary base salary table goes the 11th pick is not going to get paid as much as the second pick. Sure. Yeah, I just I still don't think they care all that much because we've seen in the past the Warriors are willing to go in the luxury tax threshold. But and, then again, but what about this year, though, especially with all the revenue that they've lost? Sure, I think there's a little bit of weight to that. But I think as you go forward, the league will recover. Everybody will recover a little bit. And I think as long as they have prime Steph, and that may only be for like two, three more seasons, and Clay, you know, maybe three, four seasons, they're going to try to compete. And I don't think LaMarcus Aldridge plus 
I think they're rumored to be interested in Sadiq Bay, which makes sense for them. That's a good fit for their team. I don't think those guys together really push them forward into immediate title contender status. And I, I don't see it, but it could, like, if it happened, I wouldn't be super, like, I wouldn't be so incredibly surprised, but I would be a little bit because I don't think it's a great fit. I don't think it makes a lot of sense, but it could. I mean, if somebody's reporting it, there's always a chance that it could happen. Exactly. And. I just think that when it comes to Andrew Wiggins, like we said, we don't we don't like the talent. The skill just isn't there. I just don't, this he's consistently been bad. I prefer Draymond with the defensive talent because the Spurs team desperately needs defense. I mean, there's no question about that. I think that it also brings Kevin kind of Glue guy and, and a guy with energy onto the team, where and also a guy with championship experience. And I think that really helps the Spurs out, and I think that's why you bring him on, and especially over Wiggins. Wiggins' contract is just way too much. I don't think the Spurs are willing to. With all that cap space the Spurs have coming up, I don't think they're willing to use that on a guy that doesn't really have huge upside anymore. Yeah, I think he's probably lost some of the appeal of the upside, but he did come into the league so young. He's only 24, so let's just keep in mind that he is still three years younger than Derek White is at this point. Totally different players, but here's something that's uh, interesting. Derek White's only 26. He's about to be 27. He just turned 26, buddy. Did he really? I'm yes. pretty sure he's about to be 27. He just turned 26. Let's look at Derek White. You keep talking while I look this up because uh, I'm going to go crazy. Derek White, he's 26 in 127 days. All right. Oh, well. Okay. Well, anyway, so there's still <laughs> the point being that Andrew Wiggins is still younger than Derek White by a pretty significant amount. And here's the only reason, and don't get me wrong here, I don't want Andrew Wiggins on the Spurs. But if there's <laughs> any reason for optimism, I did a little research before we got on here. Rudy Gay and Andrew Wiggins, their numbers from pre-Spurs oh, yeah, Rudy you, Gay. You explain this to They're me. like pretty much identical. Now, the advanced numbers say that Rudy Gay is a better player, and I won't argue that because that's probably true. But, Rudy Gay is definitely a better player than Andrew Wiggins, I can say that. But they can both be categorized in those points of their careers as guys who were high-volume shooters, scores, low-efficiency, losing teams. Now, Rudy Gay came to the Spurs, and he kind of turned things around. He's shot since he's come to the Spurs about... 46, 47% from the field, and he's shot about 37, 36% from three. That's a pretty big turnaround. His turnovers have gone down. His defensive numbers haven't been great, but he's also aging. And with Andrew Wiggins, you have a guy who's still pretty young, still in his athletic prime. Maybe they turn it around. That's the only thing that I can have for notes of optimism because otherwise, (laughs) Andrew Wiggins has shown me pretty much nothing that suggests that he's a winning basketball player, and I'm not even sure that the Spurs would be able to salvage it. But if anybody could... It would be the Spurs, though I don't want them to do that. Yes, don't I? I don't want them to take this 30, 29, 31, then thirty-three million dollar contract. That's a lot of money. That's and uh, in, in just in case we were wondering, that's a lot more money than a Rudy Gay, and uh, it's not money that I want on the books. That's for a San lot Antonio. more than that's a lot more than Mars getting paid. Pretty much anybody. Like it's pretty high up there with anybody in the NBA. Yeah. So yeah, don't. So people are saying that they want Andrew Wiggins. It's a bad idea. I'm just telling you guys, it's a bad idea. I think Draymond Green would be the better f- player. Yeah. Everything would be better fit for the Spurs in terms of what they need. Andrew Wiggins just isn't what the Spurs need in my mind. But kind of keep an eye out for this trade because there is legitimate backbone to this. There isn't confident. There isn't like pure confidence, but there's some there's some there's some bone to it. I can say that. Do you have any do you have any rumors that you've heard? No, I haven't really heard any rumors that I've thought were like all that great like i know that i was been kind of keeping up with it i follow a lot of different people on twitter i try to follow as many reporters as i can and brooklyn apparently and milwaukee have interest in demar Derozan. 
I don't really think that's going to happen either. I think DeMar DeRozan is like almost, if you will, like a mini version of Giannis in the way he plays. Don't think that's a great fit next to each other. And then with Brooklyn, I've talked to one of my buddies, Matt Brooks, who covers the Nets. He doesn't think it's a great fit either. And maybe they do have a little bit of interest, but it just doesn't seem like it's strong enough for them to part with somebody who the Spurs might be interested in, like a Jared Allen or Karis LeVert or a Spencer Dinwiddie who... Two of those players, or at least one of them, would be needed to make that deal get done. So I don't think it will happen, but definitely if it does happen, you heard it here first. But <laughs> um, but I don't see it happening either there. But I, I would be very excited for that Warriors trade. Don't get me wrong. I think that would be really interesting to see the Spurs move up and get the second pick because even though there aren't any sure things, one thing I know when it comes to the Spurs is they are pretty much second to none when it comes to player development. Tony Parker, 28. All-star, superstar almost. Manu Ginobili, 58. That's a guy who, Hall of Famer. Uh, Kawhi, 15. Der- superstar player. They know how to develop talent. And Derek all- White, DeJounte Murray. They got a Keldon Johnson, all 29th picks. Yeah, 29th pick is pretty lucky for the Spurs. If think- you get them to two, I'm pretty sure they can do some damage. Spurs need, so tra- Spurs need, we'll trade, up, Spurs need trade up their second round pick just to get 29th. That's hey, all they need. I wouldn't mind it. All right, so since it is the offseason, since it's draft season, and Spurs have trade. So, it, of course, there's going to be some some crazy mock drafts, some crazy trade machine guys. Yes, Spurs Twitter, you're fucking full of them. But I ran on I ran onto a mock to a mock draft by Dime Uprocks. But and it got a little fucking nuts. So, this page, so this page that I'm showing you Noah, this is just trades. This is just trades. Oh. This is like 20 lines of trades. And so Whoever was running the Spurs was having a fucking fire sale. He first trades off trades off Demar, Derek, and the eleventh pick to the to the Grizzlies for Goryeo Dang and Jaron Jackson Jr. It wow. gets it gets crazier. He then trades Rudy Gay for Luke Cornett and the forty fourth pick. I forgot to to Phoenix, but then he turns around trades Jaron Jackson Jr. for Tyler Hero, Duncan Robinson, and the twentieth pick. And then who do you think they pick with twenty? <laughs> James Wiseman somehow. James Wiseman. There's no way he's falling that low. Like I'm not super high on him, and I know a lot of people within the draft community are not super high on him. But there's no way he follow falls to 20, and there's no way there's that many deals being done. Like I, I talked about it a little <laughs> bit earlier today, uh, the Spurs have made the fourth fewest trades in NBA history. They're not making like five in one night. That's not happening. I'm sorry. Then look who is the first pick. From Minnesota. Look, I like Alexi Pokashevsky a lot. I think he has a ton of upside, but at one, I think that is a massive mistake. I'm sorry. That is a huge mistake. What about to Tyrese Maxey going five to, again, Minnesota? Okay. To be fair, he's a local kid who I covered in high school, or when he was in high school, rather. Really good talent. Somebody who is going to go five? I don't think so. No way. Not happening. So this is crazy. Then Denny goes 16th to Portland. Obi Toppin goes 19 to Brooklyn. James Wiseman somehow falls to 20. Tyler Bay gets picked before his brother. Wait, move up. Move up all the way to the top. They have... (laughs) I I just wanted to look at this. They have... Xavier Tillman going 14. I like Xavier Tillman a lot, by the way. Also, Theo Maladon just... Personal information, I have him 30th on my draft big board. So Him going, going 15th? Him going, yeah, 15th or 14th there, that's pretty dang high. Uh, that's much higher than I would. Although, he does play for the team that uh, Tony Parker owns, Asphalt, So Aaron Naismith going 27th. Sadiq Bey going 30th. J- it just, it's, this is just 
this is pretty wild. This uh, is just nuts. It's there's a lot of craziness going on there. Like some of these guys, I could kind of see in this range, but most of this stuff seems pretty like asinine. Then Milwaukee me. trades Giannis to Boston in this for the 14th, the 26th, the 30th. Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart, and Grant Williams. I'm sorry, but I I don't really see how that could possibly make Milwaukee better. I don't know. It can make physical sense. Like this doesn't make any sense. I think this... one of the things I'm really interested is seeing somehow. <laughs> Jaron Jackson getting traded to his dad's former team in the Spurs, but then they turn around and trade him. That's super wild to me. Like Jaron Jackson to me is worth more than a Tyler hero and Duncan Robinson in the 20th pick. I think he has a lot of potential, but I, I don't even know why I'm like bothering making these comments. Cause this is, <laughs> this is absolutely nuts. wild. Yeah, this is, I'm glad you showed it to me though. It definitely was one of the more entertaining things I've seen today. So this is just a, I appreciate and it. And I tweeted what the fucking laughing emoji. Cause I can't, I can't fathom this. When happening. did they do this? I don't know. Uh, Guiden and Cosmic Cosmos tw- tweeted out the pictures. I'm like, what the fuck is going on here? Yeah, that's absolutely nuts. That's it's insanely nuts. But it, it reminded me of Spurs Twitter being as insane as it is. Yeah, I've seen a. I, you know what? I love every single member of Spurs Twitter, but there <laughs> are some crazy things that go on there. And if I spent all my time arguing with people, I don't think I'd ever get off my phone. But I, I love everybody there, but we've got to calm it down on some of the wild trade machines, free agency <laughs> rumors that aren't really rumors. They're just hype hypotheticals that people come up with. I, I don't I don't know. It's crazy. Zach, Nerd Talk eighty seven, I'm calling you out, buddy. I know I think you do for jokes, but please, your trade machines are fucking wild. They are too much for me at times. They are too much, Zach. Yeah, I, I gotta say, I again, I really do love everybody on Spurs Twitter, but we gotta we gotta calm it down a little bit. Calm down, y'all. Calm down. All right, do you do you have anyone else you want to call out? Any other news uh, or opinions you have before we go? Before we stop and go, then preview the draft the next next episode. You know, I think when we're talking about the San Antonio Spurs and in this off season, I think this is a fun off season for sure. It's gonna be kind of a directional like what direction are we going in right it's going to determine what the spurs are doing if they're going full-fledged uh you know youth movement or if they're maybe going to try to run it back but i think it's really important to remember next off season now that'll be an episode in a year but that's going to be huge for them they could have a ton of money available and i know san antonio is not a traditional free agency destination but if you have more money and you're able to pay more people or pay people more than anyone else, I think you have at least a shot at a big name, and there will be plenty of them in that class. And my opinion is, because you're going, the Spurs teams only has $26 million tied down and going into next offseason. Yeah. Yeah, you're going to lose some money with some extensions, like like a, like a Derek, probably even a Jakob. Then you're going to have to extend, most likely Lonnie at some point, Trey Lyles. So you're going to see extensions, so you will see that money dwindle, but you still have a lot of money. The biggest use of that money that can be is to... Use it to get role players and players that fit your system. It might not even have to be a star. Yes, it might be nice to have a star, but you also have a star in Kelvin Johnson probably coming up, so shut the fuck up. You have stars coming up. But I think that that money could also be used to really build a really well-built team, kind of like what the Heat were this season. Yeah, and I I still think with with the Heat, you have someone like Jimmy Butler, who, in my opinion, is top 10, top 12 player in the NBA. He's somebody who is 
exceptional on the defensive end. He has come a long way as a playmaker. Now, he's not a great three-point shooter, but he's shown the ability to be clutch and make clutch three-pointers, and he's someone you can give the ball to and say, go get me these points. And I'm, I'm willing to say this. I make probably one to two awful takes a year, and it's going to happen when you have a million takes a year. I want my bad take to be that Keldon Johnson is going to average 15 plus points next season. I want that to be my bad take. I want it to be bad because he should average even more than that. I think, yes, the bubble was a super small sample size, and I'm not necessarily convinced he's a superstar or an all-star yet, but I do see a lot of flashes in his game where I go, this guy gets it. You know, he knows where to be on the court. He brings the energy. He's an improving shooter. He's a gym rat, so you know he's going to be adding stuff to his bag of tricks and we saw him shoot that 60% and both from the field and from three. That's not going to happen next year. That's not going to happen. But I do think there is plenty of reason to be optimistic about Keldon Johnson taking over a very large role. How often do we see Greg Popovich say something nice about a young guy? And, and willing, like not even asked, not even asked. And then we, he gave him that nickname, the Mustang. I think Popovich sees something in him that is special. I've seen it. I think you've seen it. A lot of Spurs fans have seen it. He's got the charisma. He's got the game to back it up, I think. And he's going to be somebody who, even if he's not a superstar, he's going to be a foundational piece for this roster, for this team moving forward. And he's somebody to be excited about in 2020, 2021. So two things with that. One with Keldon. The Spurs don't usually push players out into the public like they have with Keldon. Yeah. And that's something to keep to take note. Spurs don't do that. Spurs don't push a player out into the public like they have with Lonnie. Not Lonnie, I mean Keldon. That means they see something special in Keldon because they're making him the face of the franchise at this point. And what what he showed in the bubble gave him gave the Spurs Spurs organization confidence in this man, and I think it gave him confidence as well. So expect a lot more Keldon this next season. With Lonnie, I think this is a breakout season. Just because it's going he's come off his first season fully in the NBA. His second his sophomore year was fully in the NBA unlike his rookie year. Yeah, he didn't get that many ch- opportunities this last season, but I think especially if you, this team moves away from DeMar, you're going to see Lonnie get a lot more touches. You're going to see Lonnie get a lot more opportunities. And then also add on that all the gl- glitz and glamour is on Keldon right now. He kind of took the spotlight off of him, and I think he took the pressure off him. So I think you're going to see a lot of improvement in Lonnie, a lot more confidence, a lot more usage from him. And I think you're just going to see a break. I'm not calling he's going to be scoring 20 points a game. I'm not going to call that. But I think you're going to see a much more improved Lonnie, Lock- Lonnie Walker that's going to be probably one of the most improved players in the league next season. Yeah, I think that could happen too. And I think with Lonnie and Keldon, yes, they did play their rookie seasons. And even Lonnie played his sophomore season. Like he played a decent role. But I think for all intents and purposes, last season might as well have been his rookie season. And this year, if they do move on from DeMar, somebody who I can see 10, maybe, you know, ish points per game. And that's a huge uptick. He's somebody we know he can shoot the ball well. He showed the ability to make some plays as a passer. We know that he has some defensive chops. Maybe he's a little undisciplined at times, but who isn't when you're 21 years old, right? Like everybody is still learning at that age. An athletic freak. He is. Yeah, he can jump out the gym. I mean, I I know that's a cliche, but he really can. His vertical his vertical jump is uh, just above 40 inches, which is insane. I'm really excited for him. And one last guy who I'd love to shout out. Let's not forget about Luka. Now, I don't think Luka Shamanich is going to be someone who plays a huge role with the Spurs next year, but I think he's someone who I've told fans this 
a million times. Be patient. Be patient. I've, he is I've had so the same, young said the same shit. Yeah, be patient. I mean, he is somebody who initially when the draft process was happening last year, he was projected to be an early second to mid second round pick. The Spurs reach for him and they don't do that unless they see something special in him. He's young. He hardly got to play with the team he was playing with in Europe before he came to the Spurs. And then that team folded. Yeah, that team did not. Yeah. And, and then and then we have him in the in, in the G League. Now, he wasn't a star in the G League, but he showed some really nice flashes. And he, was, I, I and he wasn't the main option either. He wasn't. He most certainly wasn't the main option there. I think, barring a G League season being canceled, which could happen, if he's in the G League and he can get that sort of experience that Keldon got as being that first option, I think it will do wonders for him in his player development. We know that there are not a lot of guys his size with that fluidity who can shoot the ball that well, and we know he is someone who has some untapped potential. He is still so young. He's still so inexperienced. And we saw that last game. Yes, that last game he played, he played against guys who were kind of third-string G League level. But I think that's good for him. I think it was really good no matter the competition that he got onto an NBA court against a real NBA team and that he showed he can play. So next year, look out for look out for Luka. Not going to be I'm, I'm not projecting a big year from him, but I think we're going to see more flashes at the NBA level when he gets an opportunity. Yeah, I think that he could break the rotation. I think he can get into the rotation and become a rotational player within this next season and his sophomore year. And the biggest thing that I think he needs is just confidence. Confidence, and yeah. we've seen this before. Lonnie had needs some confidence boost. DeJounte needed a confidence boost. The Manu himself needed a fucking confidence boost. Yeah. And it's and we've seen that throughout the league where some players just don't get that confidence boost they need. And so with Luca. I think the Spurs are willing to be patient with him. I think that's going to help him with his development. But God give him some chances a few times. But once he gets comfortable, he's going to be really good. And I think we even saw that with Keldon. Keldon took a few chances. Drew took a few few times to kind of get warmed up to the team. But once they got confident, they're balling. Keldon balled. Drew is balled. And I think you're going to see the same from Luka. Once, you, once he gets a few reps, he, he's allowed to make some mistakes, learn from those mistakes, apply those mistakes onto the floor, say, at Austin... Just, I think he's going to have, have a much better season next season, like you said, going breaking the rotation. I think he's going to, his development is going to further improve. And for Spurs fans who say, oh, well, Luka's a bust already. One, I think you're wrong. It's I, only I been call, one yeah, fucking season. I won't go as far to call you an idiot because that's kind of rude. I may think that I won't I say will call it. you a fucking idiot. Sorry, I'm going to be Thank the you. rude one. Uh, I, you're I a fucking you. idiot. If, you, if you're, and I've said this before, if you're saying that Luka's a bust, after after maybe three three fourths of a season, he didn't even get the full season, and he's also nineteen. He's so fucking young. Or he's twenty now. He's really young. But you're saying that all oh, this this European guy is a bust. Shut the fuck up. You do not. You're not giving him the time that you you want these other guys to be get the chance. But you don't want him to get the chance. Shut the up. Give him. Be patient. Give him the opportunity. You're a fucking idiot, and I will re, I will I will rescind it if you prove me that you're not an idiot. And the, the last point I want to make about Luka, because when we look at historically throughout the league, there have been guys like Dirk Nowitzki. There have been guys like Chauncey Billups. There have been guys, may I even say, Derek White. Late bloomers. They take a few years to get used to the league. Giannis Antetokounmpo is one of Exactly. Them. Giannis is a great example. Now, I'm not saying Luka is Giannis or any of those other guys, but you got to be patient with him. It's the 19th pick, I think, that really hurt Spurs fans. They see, well, Keldon went 29. How come this guy isn't better? Well, Keldon had experience at a blue blood 
program that consistently churns out NBA players and good ones. Luca really did not have that experience before he came to the NBA. He wasn't the number one option in the G League. And with Luca, for me, the most important thing with Luca is not that he's just young, not that he's just talented, but that he is someone who is sort of an anomaly for his position in terms of his physical gifts, in terms of his skills. Give him a second to breathe. Let him learn a little bit. And I know I brought up Dirk earlier. Dirk's debut, zero points. I think zero rebounds. I think he had a couple of assists. Shamanich did pretty much the same. Not saying he's going to be Dirk, but I'm saying with the Spurs, how often do they have a bust? You can look at Livio Jean-Charles, who was an ill-advised suggestion from Tony Parker's team that he owned. You can maybe <laughs> consider Nikola Milunov a bust. He hasn't played in the NBA. He's actually quite a fine player over in Europe. The Spurs don't have draft busts it just doesn't really happen not under pop in in, in the front office with with uh, specifically RC. in the first round exactly and so for that reason i think the spurs know what they're doing i trust them to draft and evaluate talent and i also trust them to develop it which is what we should give luca time to do give him some time to develop and i think we'll be happy with what we get there and with that i'm going to end this podcast we've talked a lot it's a lot of good preview a lot of good talk we have a lot coming up we're gonna be doing this a lot more often where can they follow you on twitter noah yeah follow me at n underscore magaro and you may not know how to spell my last name so it's m-a-g-a-r-o and you can find me on youtube as well you can find me at pounding the rock so check out all everything that i'm doing and definitely check out what ty's doing ty's doing some great work thank too. you you can follow me at the ty jaeger that's the ty j-a-g-e-r just like the alcohol i'm if you want to see more stuff, you can pounding the rock for Noah. If you want to see more of my stuff at Spurs Zone at WOAI News Force Antonio, you can follow Mac if you want to. It's Mac Pena. You're not going to find anything. He's <laughs> AFK, and he probably won't be back until mid December. But you can follow him. Give him a nice follow. So have have a nice treat for him when he comes back. But with that, make sure you check us out at thelinepodcast.com as well. Any last words, Noah? Spurs fans. Let's get excited for next season. I know nothing's happened yet, but I'm ready to be excited. Let's go. I, also, I'm going to hopefully I can drop more Jaeger bombs on everyone. I'm just going to hope so. I'm waiting for them. I loved that Spurs jersey that you dropped uh, the news on. So I'm waiting for more. All right. Last words on this. What do you think about the jersey? Amazing. It's not exactly what I was hoping for, but they did a good enough job where they didn't make it look like some weird neon Neapolitan looking thing. It wasn't a disaster. And I think that's more than I could have hoped for. And I'm copying one. The second they drop, oh, I am too. I'm buying one. Less, is, less I, is better. I'm going to just going to say less is better on the design, especially with the Fiesta colors where a lot will go wrong. Then we'll go right. So I like the design. Get the Fiesta. It's not fucking camo. Let's fucking go. And that little touch that they have that little like spur above the eye. I love that. I'm buying one the second they drop, and I'm going to get whoever the Spurs end up drafting, regardless of what happens. I'm excited. Maybe even a Keldon one. I don't know. Am I going to be crazy and get two? Maybe. I don't know. I love them. I will go crazy. Sorry, Spurs. Uh, I'm sorry that I ruined your surprise and be, be a leak. I know you're looking for a leak specialist. I'm not one of them. I'm sorry, guys. Please don't hurt me. All right. And with that, we'll see you guys next time where we're going to do a deep dive into the NBA draft and the draft prospects that the Spurs will be looking at. See you guys next time. Hey, guys, have you ever listened to At The Line and then suddenly think, huh, I kind of want to make my own podcast? 
Well, guess what? I have something that's going to be the best tool for you in starting off you, your podcast. It's called Anchor. And this is what we use here at The Line. Fun. It's absolutely free to use. And guess what? I know some of our hosting websites, they cost money to have you start your podcast, host it, and all that. Anchor doesn't do that. It's absolutely free. And there's even creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer if you don't have all the equipment that you want. Anchor will also distribute your podcast for you so you don't have to go to all these other websites and figure out how do what what do I put how do I get this it's so confusing Anchor although makes it easy for you and they will put your podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and many more podcasting websites. And guess what the best part of it you can make money from your podcast but no minimum listenership. That means you can do your podcast for free while making money. Who doesn't love that? And it's everything that you need to make your podcast in one place. So make sure to download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started on your free podcast.